Welcome to Career in Ruins. Now, regular listeners to the podcast will be aware that we've always aimed to show a broad spectrum of brilliant archaeology and archaeologists. And today we are pleased to be joined by people representing different aspects of the discipline to talk about some interesting developments and opportunities as well as potential threats to the discipline. We may all have different roles within the discipline, but we are all united in the way that we share and promote and celebrate our fantastic subject. That's right. And today we're joined by an incredible panel featuring numerous specialists and experts who can bring a different perspective onto the discussion of the the joys and the positives of archaeology. We've got Dr Chloe Duckworth, co-lead of the Newcastle University Centre for Heritage, and David Connolly, director of BADGER, which stands for British Archaeological Jobs Resource, both of whom are founders of the Dig for Archaeology campaign. We're also joined by Kenneth Aitchinson, CEO of FAME, the Trade Association for Commercial Archaeology in the UK and Ireland, Kate Geary, Head of Professional Development and Practice at CIFA, the Chartered Institute for Archaeology, and Neil Redfern, Executive Director of the Council for British Archaeology. Thank you for joining us, everyone. Thanks for having us. Thank you very much. So the purpose of this podcast is is a special one-off in response to a a few things that have been taking place over the last few months or so. Uh, And these have involved government funding around university, government white papers around development, university departments and commercial archaeology units. And we're keen just to get get a discussion going around some of the actions that are taking place and, and some of the responses that, that we as a, as a discipline are looking to bring into place. So I thought perhaps if we kick off with, with yourself, Neil, would you mind just giving us a quick overview um, that you as the Council for British Archaeology see are, are potential threats or, or considerations to the discipline at the moment? Yes, sure. Thanks, Lawrence. Um, For me, I think there are four things that I'd like to just highlight. Um, Three relate to the different um, subsets of our discipline. And one is an overall um, sort of issue I'd like to sort of put out there for us to to think about um, uh, overall. So if we we look at the different um, sort of sectors, uh, parts of of, of archaeology, um, the first one is... um, the challenges faced with um, academia and academic archaeology at the moment. And it's a combination of of funding cuts. It's a a perception that archaeology is an expensive degree to teach, um, that it doesn't actually lead um, in many ways to to lots of uh, well-qualified individuals. Um, And mind you, I'm talking about perception here. And also, you know, the challenges that universities are becoming more business-like. Um, is archaeology becoming an easy hit uh, in order to save money? The second area is around commercial archaeology. We have a fantastic and buoyant commercial archaeology sector, but it needs skilled, qualified uh, workers. It, there are hundreds of people who are enthusiastic to get involved. But again, how are we training them? How do we develop their careers? How do we show what career paths are? And how do we reward them adequately? And again, I think uh, people on this call will be able to talk far more about that than I can. But it's a, it's a, it's a real issue. Um, the amount of development going on in the country is not going down. Uh, and how do we get that skilled workforce? The, the second area around commercial as well is the planning framework in which archaeology operates Um, The current government is looking to change that and archaeology needs to fight really hard to maintain its position within the planning framework. We're there. We do great work within it. Do we shout enough about it? What's the perception of the outputs of that work? And then the final sector is, is the wider public sector. 
And certainly this is one the CBA represents, often referred to as community archaeology. No, it's just archaeology. It's done by people who don't necessarily get paid for it or aren't academics. It is the wider public. It's hugely buoyant. Um, in 2017, we did an, an audit and there are in the region of 9,700 um, directly active participants in community archaeology. Um, but they've had a really challenging year because of COVID. So again, the voice of this, this body who wants to support us isn't necessarily being heard because their activities have been really restricted. But overall, for me, the big issue, the big challenge we actually face is the perception of archaeology. How do people perceive what we do? Um, I think our perception is still as trowel-wielding, um, you know, dirt-digging individuals, where in many ways it's, it's not all about that. We're not entirely obsessed by the past. We do a process in the present. We're as much about thinking about who we are today as who our ancestors uh, might have been in the, in the past. And I think archaeology's got a long way to go to actually show people that it's a much more dynamic and engaging process um, than some people perceive it of at the moment. We know there is an enormous audience out there. And again, I think Chloe will pick this up. She, she experiences through, through the work she does on television. And I think that, that dynamic nature of archaeology is one we've got to do a lot more to actually get across. So it's, it's the perception of what we do is my biggest challenge. I think what Neil said is absolutely on the money. And this is really at the crux of what the campaign Dig for Archaeology is about. So I myself am within the university sector, but obviously we all know that archaeology is as a sector relies on all these segments. So it relies on community archaeology, academic research and commercial sector archaeology and government archaeology, local archaeologists as well. So what Neil's saying about the public perception is really, really important because there's perhaps certain elements of that are better understood by the public. Um, and of course, I, um, as Neil mentioned, I do work on TV, but a, one of the problems with TV archaeology is that you know, that, that kind of sense, maybe a slightly narrow idea of what, what we are and what we do. And it's something that we have to try to challenge. But essentially, archaeology is so, so positive, And that message just hasn't been getting out there. And that's what's behind this campaign. In terms of government strategies, in terms of, you know, planning reform in England um, and bills going on in Wales at the moment, there are a lot of people behind the scenes working for, you know, major UK stakeholders who are talking to ministers and doing their best to try to make sure that archaeology doesn't get lost in all of this. But what we absolutely need to do along with that is to have a public-facing campaign to remind people and inform and educate people of the value of archaeology and the absolutely integral role it plays in all of our heritage industry, in our tourism, and just the, the value of it generally. Um, Britain, I think, and, and Ireland as well, you know, because obviously we're talking about UK, it's, it's, a, it's a slightly tricky one because it's some of these things um, are threats more in England and Wales than they are um, in Scotland and Northern Ireland. Um, you know, it's, it's uh, uh, as uh, somebody mentioned earlier, it's in many ways a devolved process. And so we're facing different challenges but I think in Britain and Ireland that 
we have this huge, huge appreciation culturally for history and for the past that is a real strength. And we're talking about, you know, the top four archaeology departments in the world, year on year, are UK departments. This is something we do really, really well. And I think a lot of people in the public know that. And we want to get that message across to the government. And so this campaign was all about creating a public face for all the hard work that has been going on for many, many years and is still going on behind the scenes right now. That's amazing. Thank you, Neil and Chloe. That's a really good start to the podcast. So you, you mentioned there about all the fantastic work that's been done and, and, and uh, you, you touched briefly on, the, on our campaign. Could you perhaps give us a bit more background about this campaign? What's it called? What's its purpose? And Yeah, it would help to mention the name, wouldn't it? Uh, First rule of campaigning, <laughs> tell them the name. Um, so the campaign is called Dig for Archaeology. Um, and it is it now has a website. So the website's address is dig4, as in the number four, arc.co.uk. And I'm sure that you'll be putting a link to that on the podcast. Um, and our Twitter handle is at 4Archaeology. The central kind of aim of the campaign is just to make a lot of noise. Um, we want to take all the things that are being done in different places and bring them together and show them to everybody and say, have a look at this, have a look at all the positive things that archaeology is doing, but also have a look at the threats it's facing. And this is where it's quite timely and quite urgent. So we did have to really step it up and just go with it. You know, David and I just said, are we going to do this? Yeah, OK, let's do it. And we've just had to go very hard and fast. Um, and the reason for this is that things are urgent. You know, we've had um, threats, redundancies uh, threatened at Chester. We see units closing down. We see an entire world-leading uh, research, huge research reputation department of archaeology at Sheffield being just axed by the university, which is an incredibly short-sighted move on their part. And we saw a huge public groundswell of support for them. At the same time, it's not just universities, it's also the commercial sector and planning reform bills could, if they're done well, actually improve the situation for archaeology, which we know adds value. So we know that archaeology adds value. We know that if you consult archaeologists, if you're a, a developer and you consult archaeologists early in the process, you are going to save a lot of money. Um, and all of this needs to be flagged up now, but it needs to be flagged up in a public way as well as behind the scenes. And so the campaign's very, very timely. And we are on the website. We have a lot of resources, links to all of these other brilliant things that are being done um, by the people who are in this podcast now. Excellent. And David, I wonder if you could pick up on that as one of the, the co-founders of the, the campaign. Obviously, Badger is a, is a very large online community, but what, what is it that drove you to take part in this campaign? That's a very interesting question because it's, although Badger is a, a, a large online community, it's an archaeological community. And what's very clear to me was that we were not reaching out to the public, the people we actually need. I'm old enough to remember um, back in the 80s when they actually, that it, when the, the PPG movement started just in, into the 90s, when the, it was the public that was behind us that forced these changes in the planning. And it was the destruction that was happening to archaeological sites that 
had the public saying, we will, we want to see some form of uh, control on this. And we are, the trouble is we've been talking in an echo chamber. It, it's all very well to sort of talk to each other and going, isn't it bad? Isn't it terrible? What can we do? Pay should be better, all these things. But we're just talking to each other. So all we end up doing is agreeing with each other. We then talk through the, the medium of The Guardian or The Independent. Two articles have just come out recently, uh, looking at it from a very Brexit-orientated way. Fair play. It, it is one of the things. It's not uh, It's not the thing. It's one of the things. So we have to get ourselves out there. And to be fair, where uh, Chloe and I have the benefit is we are able to act quickly. And this is what was required to just say, we have to do something now. Let's do it. Let's pull in everyone else, get their ideas, and then act. And we are, we're able to do these things uh, at that speed. And we have the number of people. We can ask questions of the community. We can uh, request images as well. We can you know, do things like um, talk to all the people that we have here and say, what, what's your suggestions? It's like the, um, what does Sifa think we should be doing here? What does well, Neil think we should be doing? How can we all help each other? This is not about any one group. It is all of us fighting together as uh, community archaeologists, as commercial archaeologists, as academic archaeologists, um, as every, well, yeah, research. It doesn't matter what you are. We are archaeologists and we have to share this with the general public. And that's going to mean stepping out of our comfort zone, which is really key and important to this issue. That's brilliant. Thank you, David. Um, I think you, that it's such a positive thing in terms of celebrating the the achievements, the goal, the great goals and, and the benefits that the archaeology and the historic environment brings um, brings with it. And um, certainly um, I, I can agree that we are very good at dwelling on the negatives at times and certainly shouting within a void that, that other people don't really know is there or anything um, or, or, or engage with. But um, but Kate, as the um, professional body, um, I wonder what the charter Institute for Archaeologists' stance was with this subject and this campaign. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Lawrence. Um, CIFA, CIFA's key message, I'm sitting here next to my pin board and I've got five key messages pinned on it. And message key message number two is archaeology adds value to industry and society. And, and we do quite a lot of work um, communicating about that, particularly to, to clients of archaeologists and other, other professionals, professions that interact with archaeology and thinking about how we can support our members, whether those, they're individual members or, or, or organisations, to deliver public benefit. Um, but obviously, for archaeology to add value, it's crucial that we've got that we have access to skilled archaeologists to do that work um, and that we have a, a vibrant structure and framework in which that can happen and in which that value can be created and that's that's as much about the uh, the academic framework the university framework as it is about the the commercial the commercial sector and and any other any other parts of archaeology that need to work together um, to be able to do that and I, I do think that quite often the threats to archaeology are inadvertent because it's too easy to overlook our discipline or dismiss it as as a an esoteric niche pastime that's practiced by 
dusty academics or, or enthusiasts and, and not, uh, not a crucial part of um, modern life, as, 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 as Neil was saying, um, particularly, particularly in the construction sector. And I think what's really positive about this campaign is that it reminds us that we need to be talking far more about why archaeology is important and not not just telling people that it's important, but actually really understanding why it's important to them um, and what difference it makes to people's to people's lives, um, so that we can that we can demonstrate far more effectively how it adds value, and whether that's in an academic context or or a construction context. And I think the the direction of travel and certainly looking at some of the initiatives in the construction section and. Uh, I'm imagining Kenneth might say say more about that. Is actually looking at those value value led decision making processes and how in the process of delivering sustainable development, actually what matters to communities is far more important and is is starting to play a, a much bigger role than just simply matters of of cost and and risk and all the rest of it. So I think this is this is really timely um, and and a fantastic opportunity for the. For, for all different parts of the discipline to come together actually and communicate that that value and that importance. Kenneth, I wonder if we could bring you in a little bit there because um, we've been talking a bit about planning and obviously the, the commercial pressures of archaeology. And of course, the relationship between planning and the commercial sector is very much down to the devolved administrations and different parts of the country working in different ways. How do you see that playing out from your your position within fame. Well, thank you, Derek. And thank you, Kate, for setting me up so perfectly with that value-led decision-making process quote. Thank you. To just throw around some facts and figures, there are, let's say, 7,000 people who work, who are paid to work as archaeologists in the UK. And that's actually because some of those people are part-time. That's equivalent of 6,300 full-time equivalent jobs. 70% of those people work in commercial archaeology. And commercial archaeology is essentially all about doing work on behalf of clients, commercial clients, who are changing how land is used and changing how land is used by building houses on it, by building roads on it, by building a big railway to Birmingham on it. And this means the work the archaeologists do is to ensure that those clients are doing the right thing, that they are not destroying archaeology without it being recorded, without it being interpreted. Now, the, those builders, those construction companies, they don't get direct benefit from the archaeological work being done. That benefit is ultimately to the wider to community, to society, that the past is not irretrievably lost and destroyed. So we're in a, a very, very funny situation, thinking about your, back to jump back to your question about how where planning is taking us. Last year, as we all know, 2020 was a year unlike any other, and we worried a lot in commercial archaeology that this was going to, COVID was going to affect companies' ability to work safely. And so Fame put in, together with other colleagues, and Kate was part of this, put in a lot of effort to make sure that we were, that lives and livelihoods were being protected in commercial archaeology. We having to make sure that people were able to work safely and that we weren't being an obstacle to the rest of construction being able to keep working. And through last year, construction kept working and archaeology kept working with construction. And FAME members found last year, last year was the busiest year for commercial archaeology there has ever been, ever. 
even in the face of the onslaught of COVID. And this, in one way, was fantastic and meant there's a lot of money coming into the sector. I mean, the value of the spending by those those clients on commercial archaeology, £225 million in 2020. So nearly quarter of a billion pounds being spent on archaeological work. But it, the problem was that everyone is running at full capacity or they're running at 110% capacity and the, the dangers of overheating. The problem that commercial archaeology sees, the two big problems that commercial archaeology sees, and Derek, I promise I will come back to planning in a moment. The first one is about the workforce, which Neil has flagged up already. The biggest of FAME members have been having to set up graduate trainee programs to get people ready to enter the, to the workplace. Now, there are lots of archaeology graduates out there and coming out of the many universities across the UK that teach archaeology. Not every archaeology graduate wants to work in archaeology. That's fine. But essentially, everyone that does work in archaeology is a graduate. 97% of people working in the sector have a degree, at least one degree. And these people aren't actually always quite ready to, to be put in the front line, to actually be put into work. And so the FAME members are actually having to give people a further round of training to make them ready for entering the, the workplace, the full heat of the threshing floor to mix the metaphors. And of course, until very recently, until last year, people from other European countries were able to come in and work in UK archaeology. Say 11% of our workforce up until Brexit, last year before Brexit, were from other EU countries. Now, those people, most of those people are still here and are still working in archaeology, but there's no route for new people to come in. And some of those people that are already here and working in archaeology are worried about the future and might be likely to leave in, in days coming. So we have a double worry about future size of the workforce because people coming out of university still need to have further final technical skills and understanding of practices of what you do on site. We have lost the reservoir of EU workers. And then to jump back to the, the thing that's been mentioned a few times, pressures on planning system. Yeah, all of this comes down to needing planning permission. I simplify, but the, the developer needs planning permission for their hospital, their school, their block of flats to be built. And very often there will be an archaeological condition placed on that. And that's what leads to the archaeological work having to be done. In England, the planning bill that is that was announced in the Queen's speech that's about to go before, very soon going to go before Parliament, has the potential to utterly turn this on its head. And there is a great deal of concern about this, not least because the, the government and the uh, Ministry for Communities, Housing and Local Government has been playing things very close to its chest. We don't know what they want to do. There is a real fear that this could, uh, the phrase I've used before, is that it could be an existential threat to commercial archaeology. There could be a decision by the government that they want to prioritise building and things like archaeology that slow it down and get in the way, or it could be perceived as that, will just be removed from the process. That's some really, really thoughtful information there, Kenneth. Thank you so much for that. I think in terms of the, the facts and figures that you shared, as, but as well as the stance, um, it certainly highlights some of the potential threats that's certainly within the commercial area. But um, taking those considerations on board, as well as the potential of using the positivity to promote our subject that Kate and Neil and, and Chloe and David have all, all highlighted so far, really highlights the, the opportunity that we have at present to sort of 
promote and, and enhance our, our offer and make sure that those threats and those concerns that, that Kenneth highlighted so importantly there can be um, can be avoided or, or overturned if that is if that is the case and the issue. Um, so Chloe, in terms of the Dig for Archaeology project, how can people get involved? What, what, what do you need? What, what do we, we need to be doing as part of your campaign to get the best out of this situation? Well, the campaign is all about urgency. Um, and, you know, this is very, there is so much work that goes on all the time. Archaeologists work so hard in a way that no other industry or sector does in engaging the public with what we do. And as has just been said, you know, um, we all of us um, know, you know, I mean, academics obviously have also been working throughout the pandemic, but we all know that commercial people that work in the commercial sector have been absolutely nailed for the past 18 months. You know, you're taking an exhausted workforce and then threatening them further. And they're exhausted, but they're passionate. People don't do archaeology to, you know, to, to become wealthy. They do it because they really care. And you can see this in all the public stuff that happens. We've got the Council for British Archaeology. We've got Neil Redfern sitting here. There's going to be the Festival for Archaeology in the summer. Um, if you go to our campaign website, there is a list of resources. There's, there are suggestions for how you can get involved. There are things you can do. You can sign petitions to stop the, to try to save Sheffield's archaeology department. We're drafting a template for letters to MPs um, in England uh, against the uh, sort of threat of the planning reform. But again, it's about turning this around to something positive. There is planning reform going ahead. We know that the government's saying things about red tape and they're being really scarily silent on archaeology and heritage, probably because they know how much we value those things in this country. So, yes, um, make a lot of noise, you know, um, go to the website, sign up to our mailing list if you're interested, um, get in touch. Um, you know, we're, we're bringing on board some really well-known people who are going to be speaking about this as well in the news Um TV, radio, newspapers, but anyone who is really keen on this campaign, anyone who's keen on archaeology, whether you're an archaeologist or not, go to the pages, go to the resources, um, go to our manifesto. We have all those figures um, that um, groups, uh, various different um, groups have put together that have been conducted by independent reports. We have links to all of those so we've just got facts and figures about the positive benefits and value of archaeology. You can go and find them. And the next time somebody tells you that, you know, archaeology gets in the way of construction or that archaeology is a meaningless degree subject, you are going to be armed with statements and evidence to the contrary. And all of that is on the website and it's linking. There are a lot of links to um, to all the websites of all the other people who are represented today here as well, because all of those have fantastic resources. Every time you turn around, you see an example of brilliant public engagement from an archaeological unit, someone like Wessex, who just put stuff out there. Um, it's just about making sure that's visible, because it's just about uniting and visibility. If you're an archaeologist, don't fight each other. <laughs> and if you're not an archaeologist, support us because we provide real value and we do it out of passion and love for the past. 
Fantastic. Thank you, Chloe. And so, Neil, picking up on that, I mean, with, within your position in the Council of British Archaeology, you must see some fantastic archaeology work going on across all the discipline, whether it's research, whether it's um, curatorial archaeology, whether it's commercial archaeology. And um, as Chloe just touched on there, um, we've got um, the Festival for Festival Archaeology coming up soon. I just wonder if you fancy just summing up some of the great things you've seen going on and some of the great things that are coming around the corner that people can can see for firsthand how brilliant our subject is uh yes i i, I can I, I suppose for me the thing that i see um that's most vibrant the most vibrant thing about archaeology is actually it's done in the present it's done by real people and it's done by people who are constantly learning okay nobody's born an archaeologist you 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 learn it so actually we constantly reinvent ourselves I think if every archaeologist actually went and studied how archaeology came about, what influenced us in the past, what influences us in the present, because everything that happens today influences how we think and operate, you would be transformed in how you think of us as a dynamic uh, discipline and organisation. And I suppose the thing I love the most, the thing that really, really gets me going, is archaeologists actually... We're really interested in failure. When, when we're digging, we are actually digging up places that pretty bluntly have failed. They've ended up as stuff in the ground. Okay. Well, if we want to make our communities successful, my suggestion would be go and ask an archaeologist because we should know and should be able to communicate how to prevent your place becoming a failure because that's what we study. We study amazing processes of change and all those influences. You know, we can show you the impact of climate change in the Mesolithic. Just go and look at what Nicky Milner did at Starcar. How communities then, 12,000 years ago, adapted to rapid and significant climate change. Yeah, That's not about the past. That is a relevant issue for us today. And we're going to see that throughout the festival. And again, everybody who represents different organisations on this call, that is what they're showing. The problem is, for me, we don't talk about it in that meaningful way. Yeah, We don't listen to the public, listen to what they're talking about and show them how we're relevant to what is influencing them and thinking them. Um, that's what I want to try and do with the Festival of Archaeology and everyone on here is helping me do that. And that is the final thing I would say, just from me. This absolutely has to be about collaboration. Archaeology is best done as collaboration. When you get academic, commercial and public, and you hit the sweet spot when they all overlap, that is when you get the, the results that Chloe talks about. And they are really dynamic and brilliant. I just wanted to say one more thing as well for anybody who's listening to this podcast who might not be an archaeologist or working in archaeology right now. It's actually, it's never too late to get involved. And that's the thing. Archaeology is an incredibly professional, you know, job that has really high professional standards but we're also something that you can get into either as an amateur level or you can go back and retrain. And there are so many resources to help you do that. And it's just never too late for people to get interested and get involved in it. Brilliant, Chloe. Thank you. Now, I'm going to...
take things slightly off script now, and if this fails miserably, we can edit it out. But I, uh, w- one of the, the sort of the main listener groups I think this podcast has, among many, obviously, is um, we we have a lot of people very early on in their archaeological careers who who listen in, predominantly undergraduate students and those thinking of doing archaeology. One of the things we've always tried to promote on this podcast is showing the breadth of archaeology, the different ways you can go, and I think that has has led to kind of a a viewership that's the wrong word but a listener base that includes lots of people beginning their careers so if each of you had one message to those starting out to those people who are who are beginning their archaeological journeys if you had one thing that you'd like them to remember and take with them to to help them share archaeology beyond the discipline to do the aims of this campaign to to almost generate the next generation of archaeologists who are capable of sharing the discipline in the way we think they should be, what would that message be? What would you like to tell the archaeologists in making to to um, to make that process easier in the next generation? I'll start with Kate, I think. Okay, thank you. Put me on the spot. Um, I think I would like to tell those um, archaeologists at the very start of their journey that, um, that they need to persist, that being an archaeologist and training to be an archaeologist changes the way you think and it changes the way that you see the world and those are really positive changes and although it isn't always plain sailing and it can be a difficult process by becoming an archaeologist you will make a difference to other people's lives and that might not be immediately obvious at the start of your of your career journey but it's it's hugely important that that people come into archaeology and understand the value that they're going to to deliver and, and understand that that change um, because it's it's hugely beneficial personally and for the people that you interact with fantastic kenneth it's going to be cold it's going to be wet you can spend a lot of time learning things like <laughs> how to how to make sure your hard hat is the right size you're going to be learning about wearing safety boots you're going to be in the strangest of places you're going to be on building sites you're going to be in quarries it's still going to be fantastic. It's going to be very, very rewarding. It's going to be very, very challenging, but you can be working hard and you can be surrounded by other people who work very hard too. Excellent. David? Ah, that's a difficult one because I'm going to be both positive and a bit challenging as well, where I'm going to say stick in, stick with it, as Kate was saying. Make sure you get trained and don't put up with okay. Don't put up with this will do. Look for companies that invest in you. Look for companies that are going to give something to you so that when you go out, then you're fired up. Uh, I I won't name companies, but there's one company um, not far away from where I am just now that ensures there are community projects available for staff to spend at least two weeks to a month on a year. Now, that's a company investing in you for you to then go out and be excited and talk to the public. So, um, don't put up with adequate. Look for star companies. Fantastic. And Neil, you may have an advantage here with your oversight of a young archaeologist club, but if you had one message for the next generation, what would it be? Okay. I, I, I have to say, I love this question. Um, okay. So my one question is, is there is no one question um, and there are no answers in archaeology. There are only questions and lots more questions and then more questions. And the really important thing is, the most important question is the first one we all as archaeologists asked, and it's why. That's why we got into archaeology. It's the one with the most powerful set of repercussions. And anyone can ask the question why, 
And our role as archaeologists is to help them to explore where that question takes them. So if you're in a young archaeologist, if you're up for exploring the why question, you can have the greatest impact uh, for, for archaeology as a discipline. It's not actually the people who write all the brilliant tomes uh, of excavation reports. You can be sitting on the side of a trench and you can pass one very simple piece of information to somebody walking their dog that can transform that person's knowledge of the place they live in. That is impact. And that comes from the question, why? So for me, I want people to be curious. I want them to be inquisitive. I want them to ask the why question, even when they're 90, because it's still relevant. Excellent. Thank you, Neil. And coming coming over to you, Chloe, can you finish us off with a, uh, a few sentences? Absolutely. The past is really powerful and never let anybody tell you otherwise. People may may look down on archaeology sometimes. I'm hoping that if we keep making positive noises, we can show why they shouldn't. Um, but it's a very, very, very important job that you have if you're an archaeologist, because the people of the past who had no voice, we are their voice. We are the medium through which they can be known and recognised. And that is so, so crucial. So if you go into archaeology and you don't like something about it, be the change you want to see. Find ways to change that thing that you don't like. Work with other people. Don't, you know, sit around complaining about it. Do something. And that's how things get better. Brilliant. Thank you, Chloe. Powerful, powerful thoughts. And I just want to kind of bring, start to bring things to a close now with, with a few kind of final thoughts. And one of those is, as we were chatting today, the, the number of, um, I think it was 6,000 FTE that Kenneth mentioned earlier, um, kept kind of rumbling around my head. And uh, thinking specifically in relation to the, the kind of the, the archaeological front line in British archaeology at the moment, which was very much raised by the issues around Sheffield and I know others have been having issues as well recently but the the petition to save Sheffield archaeology I believe is now up to over 40,000 signatures and it's hard to imagine that those 40,000 are coming exclusively from archaeologists in fact I know for a fact that they're not and it's very much the public that are stepping up to save archaeology here it's the public's voice who is who I suspect in the long term will be heard loudest by the university chancellors or the planning authorities or the um, or the local MPs. So um, I, I know I'm I'm largely an observer here as the podcaster rather than um, representing any specific body or anyone. But um, I guess the career and ruins perspective on this is to get involved, to speak up, to talk, to engage, to share this thing we love with as many people as possible, but also don't hesitate to kind of throw ourselves out at the mercy of the public because they will support us. The public love archaeology, they love what we do, and none of us should ever be afraid to put ourselves up in front of them, it just, I, which is why really I'm celebrating um, the the message across the board today in this podcast. Absolutely, Derek. What a fantastic way to uh, finish this podcast. And it just leaves us to say thank you to all our participants today. For, for anyone that wants to find out more about the uh, the campaign, then do visit the website. It's dig4arch.co.uk or, um, or check out all the different organisations' websites, which have fantastic amount of resources and information available for you to do. 
to learn about and find out more. So that could be the CIFA, that could be the FAME, that could be the CBA, that could be Badger, that could be any other acronym that you want to look up. But uh, but they're all great. So do check them out and and do get behind the, these organisations and this project and, and let's send archaeology into a positive uh, future. Thank you.